Well, amen, folks, huh? Yeah, man, that's kind of weak. Good grief, we're talking about the resurrected Jesus. We're going to talk about that this morning. And um, boy, as we talk, I could say happy resurrection day. Yeah, all right. We'll get there. I think we'll get there. Um, and uh, I, my name's Glenn, if you didn't know that. Glenn Aim is one of the pastors here at Heritage, and no, it is not Easter. You may be thinking, man, he's got a tie on. Somebody said, is that your Halloween costume? And I'm like... <laughs> my wife even said to me, why are you wearing a tie? I try to ask you to wear a tie, and you always just kind of... And I'm like, well, it just... You know, when the spirit moves, <laughs> we've been talking about that, right? And, uh, but here we are. No, I, um, it's not Easter, but we are beginning a new section in our study in 1 Corinthians. Um, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is that new section. And we call it too, it's known as the resurrection chapter. In scripture. Uh, so we're calling this section Rediscovering the Resurrection. And we're going to take, I'm not sure how many weeks, three or four weeks in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to talk about the resurrection and rediscover the resurrection. Folks, because when we understand the resurrection, wow, it's Easter every day. That's the power of the resurrection, and we're going to look at that. And uh, so if you haven't already, first um, uh, open your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you'd like to follow along in a Bible, we have Bibles underneath the seats in front of you, somewhere near at hand, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in that Bible, page 801. And uh, of course, if you have your phone or tablet or your own copy of the Bible, it's, uh, it's here um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I want to read uh, the first four verses for you as we start. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and, for, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Now, I read a few more verses than what I said, but what an amazing start to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the resurrection chapter. And I want you to notice as we begin these first two verses, the purpose of the gospel. 
the, the gospel in those first two verses is just loud and clear. You can't miss it when you read the text here. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first two verses, the purpose of the gospel. Paul says, I want to remind you of the gospel. I want to remind you of the good news. That's what he's saying. The gospel, that's the word. The good news that I preach to you. He's, he's basically saying, let me go over this one more time with you. It wasn't that the church at Corinth didn't believe the resurrection. And as we get into chapter 15, and your basic understanding of 1 Corinthians 15 may be Paul is dealing with the resurrection because the church was struggling to believe it. No, that was not the problem. It wasn't that they doubted or questioned or didn't understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We'll get to the problem next week as we look at verse 12 of chapter 15. But he's just reminding them. He says, the, the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. He says, you've accepted it. You believed it. You've received it as the authoritative truth that it actually is. They had accepted it. He says, you stood and continued to stand. You're holding your ground on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, verse 2 then, by this gospel, you are saved. And Steve, I think I got a couple of those verses there. There it is. By this gospel, you are saved. Verse 2, you are saved. Your life has been changed. If you've believed, Paul says, you are saved by this gospel. Your life has been changing, continuing to change. You've been completely transformed, not reformed. There's a difference, folks. Reforming behavior is an outward thing. That's not the gospel. The gospel is an internal thing. It starts in the heart. That's transformation. And we can change our behavior, we can change our actions, we can change our attitude, we can change the things that we do, we can change the words that come out of our mouth, but that doesn't mean our hearts have been transformed. That doesn't mean we've been saved, that doesn't mean we've been changed, because that's all external. It begins in the heart. That's the transformation. And we're going to see that. It starts, it's the inside out. And when Paul says you are saved, some translations say you are being saved, and that is accurate. The idea where Paul's talking about sanctification, the change that takes place in who we are. We would say in our position, in our standing before God, we are changed from an enemy of God to a child of God. Who we are, what we are is changed the moment we are saved, transformed completely. But we continue to be changed. We continue to become more like Jesus. We continue, to, that, that's the salvation that, that we grow. We're learning just like a human being, right? We have a little baby and that baby is born and he moves through the one month and the two month or she moves into that and, 
And, and they, they're, they're growing up. They're, they're alive, but they're, they're growing. In our salvation, we're saved, but we're continuing to be saved in the way we live our lives. Our practice, not just our position. We call that positional sanctification. We're becoming more like Jesus in the way we live. Ultimately, we will be saved. You say, wait a minute, I thought you just said we got saved the moment we believed. Yes, that's the position. But then there's the practice, the time between the moment we get saved and when Jesus comes or when our life on this earth ends. But ultimately, there will come a day when we will be ultimately completely saved when we become like Jesus first John says we will be like him because we'll see him as he is that's sanctification from start to finish the moment we're saved the process of salvation and ultimately when we are made perfect our salvation is totally completed. Now that doesn't mean that on this earth right now, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you're any less saved than you will ever be. No, it's just that we're growing in who we are before God. It's that salvation. We've been delivered. We've been rescued from slavery to sin and set free. And we should be experiencing that more on a daily level every day we live. Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because he says it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone, to all who believe. The gospel, the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. That's what Paul's talking about. He says, I want you to get this. I want you to understand the gospel because it is so powerful. It changes who we are from the inside out. And then he says, okay, so by this gospel you are saved, verse 2, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. If you hold firmly, and that makes it sound like salvation is conditional on us, right? If you hold firmly, it makes it sound like if we read our Bible every day, if we pray every day, if we make sure we're in church once a week or, or we'll really get a few extra points if we do it two or three times a week, right? It makes it sound like if we hold firmly to the Word of God. When you follow that kind of line of thinking on, when you see that, if you hold firmly, if, it is conditional, but it's, it's really not based on us. Because if you believe that it has to do with what we do after we're saved, that's works, not grace. We sang about the resurrection, I think, in all three songs this morning. And we heard about grace because we are saved only by grace. Salvation is by grace alone, by faith alone in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. It is nothing we do. So if you hold firmly, isn't us just kind of holding on for all we're worth no matter what happens and hopefully we can endure and stay safe. That's not what Paul's saying. 
The way this is written in the language, the idea is it's assuming. He says, if you hold firmly, Paul is really, you could hear him say, and you will. I know you will. Why? Because you've been saved. If you believed, you will hold firmly. Otherwise, you were never a believer to begin with. That's what Paul's saying. Because you see, this was a problem at Corinth. We've, we're in chapter 15. Think of all of the garbage that we've seen that existed in that church to this point. Right? All of the disunity in the first four chapters. And then we talked about immorality in chapter 5. And then we talked about lawsuits. Believers taking other believers to court. Paul says, are you kidding me? You guys are believers. Your lives have been changed. What are you doing? And then he talks about ownership and salvation again. And then he gets into chapter 7 and and he's dealing with divorce. And he moves on chapters 8, 9, and 10. And he's talking about the the questionable things, the weaker and brother issues. and, And the things that they weren't exhibiting love towards one another. And then, of course, the confusion on the Holy Spirit and, and using the abilities that God's given us for self and, and not doing that in love. And then we get here to the resurrection chapter. There were problems in the church and Paul was saying to them, if you hold firmly because he was believing and we see this throughout the, the letter that he wrote, he wasn't sure. He was challenging them to make sure you know that you're saved because some of you are living as if you're not. That's Paul's concern. But when he says, if you hold firmly, he's not saying that our assurance of salvation, that our guarantee of salvation is based on what we do. That's works, folks. Because we persevere. We believe we have eternal life because of Jesus. Because in him, he holds our salvation. He protects us. John chapter 10 said we are in his hands. And that's why we know we are secure. Our perseverance is not based on what we do or don't do. But it is on the power of God that keeps us saved and right before him. God keeps those who are genuinely saved who have trusted Christ. Salvation, again, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ and his work alone. So then what is the gospel? Well, verses 3 and 4 give us the particulars of the gospel. We've seen the purpose of the gospel, salvation, forgiveness of sin. The particulars of the gospel. What is the gospel? We use that word. We throw that word around a lot. And sometimes don't always make it clear. Or maybe we don't understand. And Paul is very clear. Look at verse 3. For what I received I passed on to you is of first importance. He says, church, get this. This is critical. This is of first importance. You better know what the gospel is. Get this. Here it is. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and this is the scriptures this is what paul said the bible 
Now, they didn't have the Bible we had, but they had Old Testament scriptures that made clear sin and salvation and the coming Messiah and deliverance from that sin. By faith, always by faith. Some people think that it wasn't by faith in the Old Testament. No, it was always by faith. What did it say about Abraham? Back in Genesis chapter 15, it said that Abraham believed God, what? And it was credited him, counted to him as righteousness. Believed God. What's that? Class? Faith. Yes. Always by faith, even in the Old Testament. And so there we have it. Christ died for sins. He was buried and he was raised on the third day. Three aspects right here that Paul summarizes the gospel. That Christ died for our sins. We say all the time, Jesus died in my place for my sins. It's not just that Jesus died, folks. He did. That's critical. He went to the cross. He took our place. We're the ones that should have been there. But God loved us so much, he what? Sent his one and only son, Jesus, to go to the cross in our place. And he says he died for our sins. In our place for our sins. Sin is not a really cool thing to talk about these days. Have you ever been talking to a friend who doesn't know Jesus? Maybe not a friend, maybe a stranger, and you're talking to them, you're sharing the gospel, and, and, and then you come to that sin thing. You ever feel, like, embarrassed because you're telling somebody about sin? And, like, maybe that sin leads to hell, and you kind of want to... I don't know if I want to say that much. God can make that happen, right? But it is critical that we understand that Christ died for our sins. Because that is what will send a person without Jesus to hell. It's critical that we get that. Jesus died in our place. He paid the debt that we owed God for our sin. He paid the price for us so that we could be forgiven. Don't miss the sin problem because that's the only way our sin can be forgiven and taken away is through the death of Christ. Because the Bible says all of what we do falls short. The penalty, the wages, what we deserve, what we've earned for that Sin is death, Paul said in Romans. But the gift of God is eternal life. So Christ died for our sins. He didn't just die. He died for our sins. You cannot miss that. Secondly, he said that he was buried. What's the big deal? Well, of course, it. well, it, Paul states it. Why? Because that assures that that person who was buried, was dead, right? It, it, you don't bury living people unless it's by a really big mistake, right? Uh, but but it, as we have it, we, an indication that Jesus really died, he was buried. And then the third aspect, and he was raised on the third day. Now, why is being raised from the dead such a, an important part of the gospel? Why, why is this such a big deal? 
It is critical. Wasn't, good enough, wasn't it good enough that Jesus died for our sins? Glenn, you, you said that Jesus died for our sins. That's what we need. He hung on the cross. He shed his blood that paid the penalty for our sins, paid the debt. If he died on the cross, what's the big deal about the resurrection? Why, why did he have to come back to life again? Well, it wasn't good enough that he just died for our sins. Because if that's all that had happened, if the story was over, he died on the cross, they put him in the grave, he was buried, end of story. We would still have a dead Savior. We, we couldn't know that he would have forgiven our sins because he promised, I will die, I will be buried, I will pay for your sin, and I will rise again. What's the big deal? Well, the resurrection is a historical fact. You heard that opening video. It was stated it actually is, and there is so much more proof for the existence of death and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ than for so much of Roman history. And the big deal is simply as a historical fact, the resurrection is what makes the good news so good. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead verified, authenticated the claims of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, any person today could just go out and say, hey, follow me, I'm going to die for your sins, and I'll die. Boom, that's it, it's done. But what's the difference? Jesus came back to life. He verified that what he said would happen. He said, I will rise again, proving that I am the Savior, proving that I will forgive your sin. And he did exactly what he said he would do. Authenticated his claims. His resurrection from the dead completed and finalized the saving work of Jesus Christ. It takes both the death and the burial and the resurrection. The resurrection proved that Jesus really was the Son of God, that he really was the Messiah, that he really was the deliverer for sin. He was, he was who he claimed to be, the Savior. The death of Jesus Christ would have had no effect whatsoever if he hadn't raised from the dead. We wouldn't be here today, folks. We, we wouldn't have this. We wouldn't have a Bible. What's the point? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, why would we want to believe anything in here? It'd just be another history book. That's all. But the fact that Jesus did what he said he would do, that he rose from the dead, means that he did what he said he would do and provided forgiveness to our sins for all who will believe. He defeated sin and death and the devil and came back to tell about it. He did exactly what he said he would do. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Now we have a slide here. The gospel. Um, simply put, Jesus lived. One, one of the commentators that I was reading this week, I thought that it was a real concise statement. So Jesus lived died and rose again for sinners and God will save or forgive anyone who turns from his sins and trusts Jesus that's the gospel and that's the truth that has changed our lives
Jesus Christ died, rose again, came, lives for sinners, and God will save anyone who turns from their sins and trusts Jesus Christ. And Tony Becker did a great job this past weekend uh, of sharing with us the gospel and talking about the importance of trust. You can know the facts. You can accept them. But unless you're willing to trust, put your faith completely in what Jesus did as the only means of forgiveness of our sin, salvation does not become real for us. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it is amazing when you begin to see it in Scripture over and over and over again. You know the Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you've ever used what we call the Romans road to share the gospel. It's right there, Romans 10, 9 and 10 are some of those verses that we use. And Paul said this in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that what? God raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. That's what Paul says. That's what the Bible says. And then he goes on, for it is with your heart that you believe, that you believe what? That Jesus died and God raised him from the dead. It's with the heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Wow. It's there in Scripture, and it's critical that we grab hold of that truth, that we know the facts, that we accept, and that we trust what God says will happen. Thirdly, the proof of the gospel. Verses 5 through 8. Now, I read that earlier to you and in verses 5 through 8 there's a word that just continues to show itself in those verses in fact if you look at verse 5 again and that he appeared to Cephas and into the 12 talking about the disciples right actually at that point it was only 11 but you see he's referring to the 12 as the disciples that's why he doesn't say because it's like a, a cum it's like a verb or a noun that's describing the, that group all right, even though there was only 11 at that point because Judas had hanged himself, it's still called the 12, right? Then verse 6, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. You see, there were live living witnesses that could verify what Paul was preaching. Then he goes on and he says, though some have fallen asleep, some of those 500 have passed on, have died. He uses that term sleep for believers who have died on this earth. It's a great term for death. Verse 7, then he appeared to James. This is, this is James, the brother of Jesus. And there are many, I, I'm included in that number, who believe that this is when James came to know Jesus Christ. Because when you study scripture earlier, it's not, we're, not, we're not given the idea that the, his, his siblings, earthly siblings, were really following him. But then James is the same James here who became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Same James who wrote the letter to James in the back of your New Testament. 
And, and that's when we believe he got saved. Then he goes on, but he appeared. Then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. And that happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. He was confronted by the living, resurrected Jesus Christ. You see, he appeared. The importance and the centrality of the resurrection was seen all throughout the early days of the church. If you want to keep your place there in 1 Corinthians 15 and, and, and follow with me, I'm just going to look at a couple of scriptures if you want to write these down. But the book of Acts is just full uh, when we, of the resurrection. And that's what I mean when we begin to look for it. We, it's everywhere. But Acts chapter 2, verse 22, Peter is preaching to the crowd many of whom are unbelievers. The day the church began, the day of Pentecost. In verse 22, Peter says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Remember, we just talked about miracles, wonders, and signs. That's, that's, we're done. Go, go back and, and check that out. Study it. This man, verse 23, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. You see, Christ's death was planned by God. And then, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross, verse 24. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Look ahead to chapter 3. That was the message Peter gave. He's given the gospel. And what happened? 3,000 people trusted Christ. They heard the facts. They accepted them. And they trusted Jesus Christ. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Chapter 3, verse 11. And uh, Peter, had, Peter and John had just healed the lame man. While the man held on to Peter and John, the man whom they'd healed, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. This is in Jerusalem because they just healed the lame man. And now everybody is like, what in the world just happened? Verse 12, when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by your own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. Verse 15, you killed the author of life. Look at it. But God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. Woohoo! Wow! Look at chapter 10. This is when Cornelius got saved. Cornelius, who we typically credit as being the first Gentile after the church began to come to know Christ. Chapter 10, verse 39. This is what Paul says. Acts chapter 10, verse 39. We are witnesses of everything he did. And Paul is right there in Cornelius' home. And he's talking about Jesus. We are witnesses of everything Jesus did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. You see, every time Paul's preaching the gospel and sharing the truth to people who don't know Jesus, what does he talk about? Jesus died on the cross, and God raised him from the dead. Hallelujah, folks, right? See, it is Easter Sunday. 
all the time, right? Look at chapter 13. Chapter 13. Look down to verse 28. Chapter 13, verse 28. Paul says, well, he starts in verse 26. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, who's talking to Jews and Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent, message of salvation, the people of Jerusalem and the rulers did not recognize Jesus yet in condemning. That's Remember John 1, he came unto his own and his own received him not. Here's what Paul says, the people of Jerusalem and the rulers did not recognize him. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that read, uh, read every Sabbath, though they found no proper ground for a death sentence. They asked Pilate to have him executed when they had carried out all that was written about him, Old Testament, they took him down from the cross, laid him in a tomb, but God, verse 30, but God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. Folks, if, if when Paul and the disciples, the other believers there, every time they're giving the gospel, they're recognizing, remembering to talk about not just the death of Christ, but his resurrection. It is critical because it is the resurrection that validates what Jesus said and did on the cross. Lee Strobel who has written a lot of great books, The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith. He's written The Case for the Resurrection. And he said this, The resurrection was undoubtedly the central proclamation of the early church from the very beginning. The earliest Christians didn't just endorse, didn't just endorse Jesus' teachings. Oh yeah, we're good with that. No, they didn't just endorse his teachings. They were convinced that, he had, that they had seen him alive after his crucifixion. Next slide, please. That's what changed their lives. What? That Jesus rose from the dead and they believed it. They saw it. That's what changed their lives and started the church. There may not be any more thoroughly attested event in ancient history than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So critical that we get that, that we understand that. Lastly, the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel, verses 9 and 10. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. He says, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Wow. I'm the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle. Why? Because he persecuted the church of God. And when you read Acts chapter 8, in the beginning of that chapter, the first three verses, right after at the end of chapter 7, Stephen was stoned. Stephen was, was, a, was a solid believer, a follower of Jesus, a disciple. And he was stoned for proclaiming the truth of the gospel. And he's the one who, as he was about to die, looked up and saw Jesus and said, Father, forgive them. Saw the Father, excuse me, not Jesus. The Father, forgive them, 
for they don't know what they're doing. And chapter 8 then says, and Saul was standing there watching. That's Paul before he got saved. And as you move on through chapter 8 and then into chapter 9, we get the story of how Jesus appeared, the resurrected living Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. What was he doing? He was out, he'd been, he'd been commissioned by the government, by the Jewish leaders to kill Christians. And he was doing that, to destroy the church. Paul says that. That's why he says in chapter 15 and verse 9, he says, I persecuted the church of God. And he says, I'm not even worthy to be called a, 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 a disciple, a follower of Jesus, because I persecuted the church of God. But look at verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. Paul experienced the grace and forgiveness of God on the road to Damascus, and he moved into, into the town there and met Ananias who God had called to minister to him, and Saul got saved and became Paul because he face-to-face with the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. Read chapters 8 and 9 and get that story. It's, wow, it's amazing. The power of God. And you know what happened here? His life was changed. That's what he says, verse 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Folks, we, we say that many times. <laughs> Just by the grace of God, I am what I am. I don't mean that everybody that says that says it lightly, but it can be one of those Christianese things that we say. Oh, by God's grace. Well, that's true. Make sure when you say it, we understand that's really what happens. It's the grace of God because of a resurrected Jesus. And it's critical that we understand that. Because you see, when we know the grace of God, it it is not without effect. In fact, it changed his life. And he says, yeah, and, and even I worked harder than all of the other disciples or apostles. And he says, but not I, but the grace of God that was with me. He's not bragging, but he says he worked hard. And he did. Just read through the book of Acts. Read through the letters that he wrote. Talks about how he was beat up and left for dead and shipwrecked and all the rest of this stuff. But it was the grace of God and he did it because the gospel is the power of God and the salvation to all who believe. One of the things that Tony said yesterday to our men and he would admit that he, it's been said for years, you may have heard it, but he repeated it and challenged us with it. And that is the best apologetic. You know what apologetics is? If you don't, Dave Lackey's teaching a class right here in the next hour. And he can, but basically it's simply how to defend our faith, how to defend what you believe. But the truth of the matter is, this is what Tony reminded us, the best apologetic For our faith is a life well lived. Right, men? Those of you that were there, you heard it. In other words, we live the changed life before those around us. That's proof positive of what God has done in our lives. That he's a living Savior who rose from the dead. That's the proof 
of the gospel. The power of the gospel is revealed when we come face to face with the risen, living Jesus. And he changes our lives and we live our lives in a way that people see it. That is the greatest proof of our faith and that what Jesus said is true. Verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So what now? So what now? Well, look at verse 11. Paul concludes this section. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believe. Whether it's me or the disciples that you heard from, the other men who were saved by the grace of God and living for God and serving God, he said, whether you heard it from me or heard it from them, it doesn't matter because this is what we preach. He says, and this is what you believed. You've received the gospel and trusted Jesus Christ. So I ask you this morning as we close, is that what you believe? Do you believe what you've heard this morning? That Jesus died for your sins. That he was buried, proving he was dead. But that he rose again three days later. Validating, authenticating, proving that he was who he said he was. That he would do what he said he would do. Forgive our sin and save us. Amen. Do you believe Has your life been changed? And if so, is it obvious? You see, that's what Paul was saying all the time to the church at Corinth. That was part of the problem. Sin was rampant in that church. And Paul was saying, is your life changed? Do you know Jesus? Have you believed So you go back to verse 2, that's what he says, by this gospel you are saved if you firmly hold to the word that I preach to you. And again, not our effort to hold tight, he's assuming because you will hold if you've been genuinely saved to the truth of the word of God, you are saved. This whole business of a changed life, folks, I... I've told some people, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be preaching a message somewhere, I don't know when, on the parable of the sower and the soils. Because if you remember that, and if you want to look at that, Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 23, you read through there. And Jesus talks about how the seed is sown, the truth of the word of God. And some lands on hard soil, but the birds come and take it away. And some lands on rocky soil, but in rocky soil, there's not a lot of dirt, so it doesn't, they spring up quick and then die off. And then the, the weeds, talks about the cares of this world. We get all caught up in what's going on in this world, and, and, and we get, our life gets choked out. Ultimately, why? Because there was no life to begin with. And then he talks about the good soil, that when that seed takes root and grows, this produces fruit. And for the life of an individual who claims to know Jesus and there's no fruit, what's that mean? There's no life. There's no change. There's no salvation. And that's what Paul's driving at. That's what we've been driving at. 
all along. We talked in the very beginning, chapter 1 and verse 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, Paul writes, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. Remember that? And what have we said? What's the statement that we've kind of adopted as the theme? God's holy people must become what they already are. We're talking about sanctification. They have positionally been made a child of God, but now they have to practically live out that salvation to show the evidence of the reality of Christ changing our lives. It's who we are when we get saved. He says, you are sanctified. You are set apart to God, but You must also, you've been called to live a holy life as his holy people. How we live is critical. And Paul's saying, you you folks have been set apart to God, you're sanctified, but you need to remember to live out the truths of the gospel. You need to be like Jesus. It's important that we understand a changed life shows itself. And if there's no change, there's no fruit, there's no life. That's critical. Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Father, what a, what a great reminder that Paul gives to us of the fact that Jesus is alive, that he's still not dead in a grave somewhere. He is alive at the right hand of you, the Father, in heaven. Oh God, if there are any here today who have claimed to know Jesus but haven't experienced the life-changing reality of forgiveness and the transformation that comes when we don't just know the facts and accept them, but when we trust our life, all that we are, to the forgiveness and the power of Jesus Christ and we're saved. Oh God, I pray that you would use us who know Jesus to make a difference in this world, to to let people see the change that has been brought about by the resurrected Jesus. And if there are any here today who just do not know Christ, even what I'm saying today has been confusing or totally misunderstood or not understood at all, I ask God that you'd open their hearts to see their sin, that without Jesus and his forgiveness will one day send them to hell. Oh God, don't let anyone leave this building today without seeking help or trusting Christ to forgive their sin and change their life. Father, thank you that Jesus died for us, that he died for our sins to forgive our sins and that he rose from the dead and that we have today a living Savior. Oh God, grip our hearts on this day with that great Easter truth for it's in Christ's name I pray, amen.